three once or the same, isn't it? Really? See what I did there? Uh, <laughs> thank you, Harriet. Well done. Thank you for that reading. Well, good morning. Um, we're continuing our series on uh, shaping worship, which is pleasing to God, and we're looking at the different elements of the uh, communion service, and today we're looking at the creed. So uh, I'd like to ask you a question. How might we reimagine the Nicene Creed for the 21st century? Um, well, here's an attempt to do so. We believe in the divine, the mother who nurtures creation, who is love and is in all that we can see. We believe in Jesus who called himself son of God, a great teacher and shining example to us all of what it is to be human. He told us to love others and to love ourselves. Jesus was made man as an example of human flourishing. Jesus was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he probably rose again. And now he is most likely in heaven. He said he will come again, which is a mystery. When he comes, it will be much like now at its best because there's nothing much wrong with this life where we are affirmed in it. We believe in the Holy Spirit who is the presence of Jesus in some mysterious way. She came to help me discover my truth and true inner self and affirm all that I see myself to be. God is constantly revealed in a new way, so today we can disregard the law and prophecies of the Old Testament. God is also not much clearer in the New Testament because it was written from an inherent bias of the patriarchy and men make mistakes. We believe in one unified, progressive and inclusive church where the God of love wants to affirm all our identities and allows us to determine what is sinful. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of the sins that we consider to be so based on our lived experience. Good fruit is what I say is good and bad fruit is what I say is bad. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come, which will mirror the life we would have liked to have had here. We do not believe in creedal statements as they are too restrictive and oppressive of free will and thought, and who are you to tell me what I believe anyway? I wondered whether to share that with you or not. Um, and there was some laughter around and maybe you were thinking, should I laugh at this or not? Now, it's neither a parody, nor is it entirely fair nor accurate, because it's a collection of arguments which I've either heard personally or read or heard on the internet or whatever, put forward for progressive theology, modern contemporary theology. Um, and maybe few people would sign up to all of that, but all of those things I have heard put forward as gospel. Now, Tom Holland, in his great History of the World Dominion, identifies a thread through history and concludes that the secular creeds of today are founded on Christian principles amended for a postmodern world. 
Rebecca McLaughlin, in her book, The Secular Creed, picks up this idea. And she argues that if we sweep away the Christian foundations of the assumptions and beliefs of the current culture, we won't find some newly thought out secularism, but a sinkhole. Because the principles of dignity, equality, respect, and love are all distinctly Christian values. And it must be said at this point, there is much of the traditional church to repent of and change, to honour those principles in the way in which they've been lived out in the past. We just need to look at racial injustice, treatment of women, and treatment of those who are same-sex attracted. But by removing or relegating God and exalting the human self as the source and the end of all things, the belief system becomes distorted. So my question today is, does doctrine matter? Does it matter what we believe? And if so, how can the creed help us to shape worship that is pleasing to God by reinforcing and guiding what we believe? Now, in the midweek communion uh, this week, I asked the question, what is good news? We were looking at John 15, you know, the vine, remain in me, and we were looking at Acts 15, which is about the Council of Jerusalem, where they were debating whether or not Gentiles needed to be circumcised. And I said three things. What the good news is not what we do, because, of course, the circumcision argument was about you have to be circumcised to be saved. It is what we believe, and we believe who we know. That is Jesus. In answering the question, does doctrine matter, David Tripp writes, every doctrine forms a culture for our living. God is explaining to us who he is, who we are, what life is about, what is meaning and purpose, and the values that are worth living for. There is an objective truth which is very practical and feeds our ethical decisions, our worship, our service, our prayer, and many other things. He says that where confessional theology, what we believe, is separated from functional theology, how we live our lives, then there is a disconnect in our faith. Kevin Van Hooser puts it this way, Doctrine helps us to answer the question that Jesus posed to the disciples in Matthew 16, 15. Who do you say that I am? Now, theologians might wrap that up in theological language like Christology and sin and atonement and pneumatology and soteriology and ecclesiology and eschatology. There'll be a test at the end, by the way. You don't know what these clergy go through to be here. But what they simply mean is who he is, who we are, how we relate to him, our need for salvation, and how he saves us. And what happens when he returns. The word doctrine simply means teachings. It comes from the Latin word doctrina. And creeds are statements of doctrine, statements of teaching but they usually respond to a particular question that needs to be answered. The Council of Nicaea, led to the Nicene Creed, which we're going to say in a moment, was brought together to agree about a doctrine that had been challenged by Arius. 
It was to agree a doctrine that Jesus was both human and divine. The 39 Articles of Religion of the C of E, anybody read them recently? I know there are some of you there because we did it in Bible study, um, but you're keeping quiet about that. Um, it was great fun. They're not a creed, but they do lay out some of the doctrine of the Church of England. But the key question there was how does the new church, reformed Church of England, differ from the previous Roman church in England? While creeds are statements of doctrine, they are neither complete nor systematic because they are, as I said, a response to a particular question. Francis Young says they tell who God is and what he has done and they invite the convert to make that story and that affirmation his or her own. And this is where a progressive or a secular creed and therefore belief diverges because God is no longer centre stage. We are. Now Paul's letter to the Ephesian church was written near to the end of his life and it encapsulates a story of God and his saving work for humanity. And the letter basically comes in two halves. The first half is a deep doctrinal work that functions as a form of worship, an exaltation of God. And the second half is a more practical application to various ethical questions facing the churches at the time. Now in our reading today, Paul covers the following. Praise, blessing, being chosen, being predestined, God's purpose, glory, redemption, forgiveness, fulfilment, hope, the gospel of salvation and our inclusion in it. He describes the Father God, the saved being in Christ and the Holy Spirit being the seal or guarantee of our inheritance. It is a rich and abundant Trinitarian story of God, lavishing love and blessing on his people, all according to his plan and for his praise and glory. In so far as humanity is mentioned, it is about the rewards and blessings we receive from this generous God, not by anything we do to earn it, but by his grace. And three verses stood out to me for today. Verse 9, he made known to us the mystery of his will purposed in Christ. Verse 13, you were included when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of salvation. And verse 14, when you believed you were marked with the seal that is the Holy Spirit. So God makes himself known. We hear, which is stage one, and we believe, which is stage two. And that's when it kicks in that we are included from then by being believers. And the Holy Spirit comes into us and we are called to listen to that counsellor's guidance to guide our decisions, our behaviour, our worship, our prayer, and to allow him to transform us. This progressive Christianity is based on the premise that God is constantly revealing himself and improving the picture so that what we know now is better than what we knew then. It's like this linear progression towards something even better. And when we look at the Bible history and the history of the church, we actually get a quite different picture. We just consider Josiah in 2 Kings 22. 
He was the king who discovered the book of the law and then undid all the wrongs of his idolatrous ancestors. God's people had adopted local customs. It's called syncretism. So much that they returned to their ways and went into exile because they had pushed God too far. Upon return from exile, chastened, we find Ezra reading the law again, to a new generation, and they would double down on holiness and obedience because of what had happened to them before. The reimagined creed that we began with holds the essence of 21st century syncretism. Denying objective truth and exalting doubts. Raising the human self above God in the determination of belief. Describing a God who will agree with our own self-defined religion and ethics. A focus on the here and now. Assumes that we can save ourselves if we only try hard enough. And assumes a universal salvation because a benign loving God couldn't condemn anyone and is therefore wholly inclusive. And after writing this, what came to mind is, do you remember the royal wedding and that amazing uh, sermon that we had from Bishop Curry? Do you remember that? If you actually look at what he said, he says, if we love harder, the world will be better. It doesn't ascribe any of it to God. It's about humans working harder. And much of it, that's a very good example, that much of it is seductive. Partly because much of it is based on Christian principles of dignity, equality, equity, and love. But the problem is, is that it's a half-truth. We become the centre, not God. Rights replace grace. Liberty replaces sin. And sovereignty passes from God to us. I was um, at another church earlier this week and just the playlist was playing on my phone and this song came up, which I hadn't heard for a long time. 1996 song, Jesus, Lover of My Soul. It's all about you, Jesus. And all this is for you. For your glory and your fame. It's not about me. As if you should do things my way. You alone are God, and I surrender to your ways. You've now got that song in your head, haven't you? So returning to the Nicene Creed, what does it actually say? It says, we believe in one almighty God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three in one. See? Told you earlier. Just in case you didn't get it earlier. Sorry. That Jesus is Lord. That he is the Son of God. And he is eternal. He is holy man and holy God. And his incarnation was to save us. Because we are destroyed without him. Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. And all of that happens for us 
Without him, we are nothing. He is our judge as well as our redeemer. And those who are saved will live forever in perfection. The Holy Spirit is God with us, and without him there is no life, only death. The Lord, the giver of life, without the Holy Spirit, there is only death. God speaks directly to us through those who are given the gift of prophecy. And the church is all believers, universal, set apart for God, and sent into the world, but only the believers. Baptism is about new birth and receipt of forgiveness because we all fall short of the glory of God. We all are sinners. And we will not die if we remain faithful and obedient according to God's rules of life. Now all that is good news. Do we agree? The ordination service for priests includes these words. And now, in order that we may know your mind and purpose, says the bishop, you must make your declarations we put to you. Do you accept the Holy Scriptures as revealing all things necessary for eternal salvation through faith in Jesus Christ? And the ordinands say, I do so accept them. And I still do. And I commend them to you. Be in the truth of the gospel of Christ as of first importance. Accept, believe, and live the historic formularies of this church of which you are a part. Let's pray and then let's say the creed together. Father, we thank you for those who have debated, discussed and been open to the truth of your gospel and have passed that on through the centuries. Help us to be open to ask questions but in doing so to seek your answers. Help us to be graceful in receipt of truth and help us to be accountable to one another to live out your truth. That this good news, this gospel will be proclaimed in word and in deed. And we pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Should we stand as you're able? And we should have the words of the creed. We say this together. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, was incarnate from the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and was made man.
For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy, Catholic and apostolic church, we acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. 